This is the West Michigan Sports Show, presented by the United States Air Force. Now, here's your host, Brandon Worth. Welcome into the Local Sports Hour Part 2 here on the West Michigan Sports Show presented by the United States Air Force. Brandon Worth with you here as we get into the local sports coverage you are looking for here in the Big Rapids area. Today, we have an interesting topic that I'm sure many of you are interested in. It seems like year after year, no matter what sport we're watching, no matter what sport we're rooting on our kiddos as they're playing, it seems like almost clockwork. Every single calendar year, we'll have a conversation, maybe even an argument, maybe even a highly, highly toxic debate about something that comes in common with all the different sports that we have in the MHSAA. And that's the rule book. It is always debated whether you're out with morning coffee, with friends, whether you're after a tough loss or a tough win uh, in a contest. It just always seems to be the rule book is brought up. Their rules are changed year after year, and there's certainly some new ones coming in 2023. So we'll get to those. You'll get my immediate feedback as one that has played in many of these sports and has seen the impact of some of these changes. Can't wait to get into that here this today, as well as I'll give my thoughts on some of the top five interesting rule changes coming up here from this season. But before we get started, I want to thank those that make this show possible. Those include the Schuberg Insurance Agency, Alter Care Big Rapids, Macasa Asula Career Center, Paris Auto Sales and Service of Big Rapids, Motor the Macasa Asula Transit Authority, Quality Car and Truck Repair, and Johnson's Automotive. Thank you guys for sponsoring this show. And be sure, we're always looking out for more sponsors. So if you're a business and you want to be a part of the West Michigan Sports Show, Hit us up here at WBRN, and we'll be happy to make that happen for you here to get you on this show. But without further ado, let's get right into it. Wasting no time, the MHSA had their spring meeting just a little while ago. Later on in May, all of these were reported, but it kind of just like slid under the radar, and nobody really truly realized some of these changes were being made and some big, big changes that were made, especially from this council. The biggest one that was brought up, especially and highlighted by a lot of state regulated news sources and a lot of all these other sports coverage sites is now really the out-of-state opponent argument, which was used to be you could not play against uh, schools from outside the state. Then it became you could play against some states that were obviously neighboring, like Ohio, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Ontario, but you could only go 300 miles to play that out-of-state opponent at one time. Those are both gone now. It is free reign that you can play against any high school In the entire United States, there is only one catch to this rule that is being made in coordinates for 2023, and that is that the competitions for MHSAE teams must be in the state of Michigan. So you can play a California team potentially in an AAU volleyball game or a basketball game, baseball game, cross-country race, wrestling match, whatever, as long as that it is taking place in Michigan, or also there is an acceptance for the other four neighboring states that I mentioned earlier, and also Ontario. So it must take place in one of those five states, or I should say one of those six states plus Ontario, uh, five major connector border states here from Michigan. So that's the one of the biggest ones that is taking place this year. I'll be very curious because obviously you see the national competitions all the time. And it feels like something that in high school athletics, it was just a matter of time until we started to get into 
And especially with the media coverage, the advancement of athletes using technology and resources, that national competition just seems like it was it was just a matter of time until this happened, in my opinion. But as you look at how this rule is set up, I think it's very interesting because now a lot of the MHSAA schools and especially neighboring schools now have a little bit of leverage when it comes to playing national contests, which normally in a high school setting, you're not going to see as much true national competition. You're not going to see South Carolina teams playing Montana teams, for example. You might see South Carolina and North Carolina teams play against each other. So I think you're going to see that, especially Michigan teams, I think especially, I know as a former club AAU baseball player uh, playing in tournaments such as in Illinois and Indiana, that you're going to see a lot of that happen, but now it's going to be eligible for the regular season. I think that's where it's going to be very interesting, where you got some of the top teams in the state now have the opportunity to play some of the top teams from other states, neighboring-wise, in the regular season that'll prepare them for tournament competition later on in May and June. So I think that's a very interesting idea. I really look forward to see how it goes and seeing all the benefits and feedback that we get from this first year of national competition being allowed here in the MHSA. And there also is another undue influence regulation that is being made. It is now a violation for coaches and the representatives to connect via social media with students from another school prior to ninth grade who have not enrolled in high school or participated in athletic competitions. So this would include having a follow, a friend request, direct message. Now, this is now pretty much allowing uh, coaches to, or I should say, not allowing coaches to basically behind closed doors, recruit kids uh, from other schools before they get there in some of the social and messaging networks. So I think that's a very interesting thing that was really, I think, definitely something that we were going to be looking into. The college world has been seeing this. I mean, Jim Harbaugh from Michigan football just this past week getting a violation from some of their recruiting measures um, for some of that. Obviously, now you can debate about that as much as you believe uh, based on the situation, some other circumstances, but that's not the point. The council really is looking to make sure that coaches' representatives uh, don't visit them. Uh, They're not going to be able to talk to them to a point where there's no opportunity really for all these coaches and representatives to go show up at families' doors or other locations to try to recruit their kids uh, before they get into the high school thing. So I think that's definitely going to be very interesting, as well as the third biggest rule that was announced by the MHSAA, which approved the expansion of video review. And this is not necessarily saying instant replay in high school. That's not the case here. This is for determining additional penalties when there is a case of review necessary. In this case, the most common would be a bench clearing brawl on the basketball court, the football field, the baseball, softball field, whatever it is. If there's a situation or an incident that makes competitors leave the competitive surface and they're therefore ejected from the stadium or the arena or the track or whatever, this will now be allowed to be reviewed by the MHSAA and they can now go through and assess additional penalties, which would include further ejection, suspensions to team members, coaches, staff who participate in the altercation or that necessary violation that therefore they can go through and assess that properly after the fact using video replay access to that game's film. So I think that's a very interesting idea. We see that all the time at the collegiate level and that seems seems to be a common theme with a lot of these rule changes. The high school overall 
I think, especially when you look at not necessarily just the high school circuit, but I think high school sports in general leading up to that, we're starting to see a little bit more and more and more trying to really regulate and kind of, it feels like, I wouldn't necessarily regulate, but kind of just really narrowly push a lot of these sports at all levels into a similar style of play, similar action and progression and process of going through a lot of these rules and especially with the way that the game wise flow wise is working obviously we've seen that in baseball with the pitch count that is something we'll be interested to see if the MHSA looks at here soon as well uh, as the shot clock which they have already investigated into those things and especially within basketball recently uh, there's been a lot of rumor from the MHSA that says that the shot clock is not really necessary in this situation based on the data they have and that it's not necessary within the game itself. So I think that's very interesting. But with a lot of these main rule changes, there's a lot to go with how the game, the coverage of the game is being conducted. And it really, when you look at the three of them, it revolves right around media, all three of them, the national coverage, being able to play teams from other states, obviously with number one, number two, obviously the recruitment prospect. I mean, that's just something that has been really heavily induced by the media to make sure that the right kid is at the right school at the right time and the right sport to be able to keep them and give them the best success possible, which is a good thing. But as long as it's done correctly, which there's a lot of people that have done this incorrectly and have paid the price for it. So now the MHSAA is really locking down on it to make sure they're protecting some of these athletes from that further destruction that can be caused from some of these illegal activities. And then obviously the third one you look at with um, just being able to have that review um, for the, the coverage of an incident because things get blown out of proportion all the time. You hear the stories from the coffee shop, from a lot of your friends, and you hear about, oh my goodness, there was all these punches thrown and it was just a melee. It was malice at the palace part two. When in reality, it might have been two punches and the whole thing was over. Now, that's the biggest thing when it comes to the media coverage because the media doesn't want to be wrong. That's the one thing they hate is being wrong. And right now, they're definitely starting to get their way from the MHSAA, in my opinion, here moving forward. But those are the main rules. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll break down specific sports and my top five rule changes going in to this next season. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back here from the break, finishing out the program, specific sports changes, as well as some other notable changes that you should be really alerted of, and not necessarily just from a coach's or a player standpoint, but also as a fan's perspective as well here for this upcoming season of MHSAA Athletics. First one is specifically in bowling. There was three recommendations for postseason competition that was made. The first is reorganizing regional competition to eight sites, which would qualify the top two teams and the top seven singles for both boys and girls competitions for the finals instead of the previous six sites with three teams as well as 10 singles for both. So that will narrow down the playing field getting to the state finals in bowling. Um, They also made a proposal to change the team's finals match to -to head-to-head best-of-five Baker game format. So that's going to be a very interesting change to follow this year. And finally, the third one uh, was adapting the Phantom 2 oil pattern for all MHSA tournament competitions. So they're going to be adopting the Phantom 2 oil pattern. So that was something I'm sure that was discussed plenty of times when it comes to uh, what patterns they wanted to use in consideration because obviously with all the different oils out there, uh, there's really only a certain amount of really reliable 
liability and eligibility that you're allowed to give out to some of these student athletes. And so they're going to adopt that one to make sure um, that that one is allowed within play as well. And we'll be very interested to see how that turns out here, especially consideration of scoring when you're talking about the difference in oil patterns uh, here for this upcoming year. We'll see how much the scores change. Be very, very interesting to watch. Uh, over in girls volleyball, there was an improved volleyball committee recommendation. So there will be a committee now that will be seating the top two teams in each district, uh, which will begin actually with the next school year. That'll be 24-25. So this winter fall season will not necessarily be counted um, for the committee. It'll be done as is from this past year and years before. Um, which this has been done with girls and boys basketball, girls and boys soccer, um, which really in a nutshell, in a really summary fashion is that the top two seeded teams in each district will be placed on opposite sides, guaranteeing they won't play each other uh, before the district final. You don't have the heavyweights in the semifinal game, for example, that those two top seeded teams will have the right to meet in the district final and they won't have to meet before them, which I think is a very fair rule. I think that that's something that Definitely is a step in the right direction. I know there's a lot of people that say that it should be seated outright, as is from the regular season, to make it true. All six, five, four, six, seven seeds are should be counted, even eight. But I think in this, this is a really good way to kind of ease our way into that. So um, seating will be determined for volleyball in the similar formula that is accounted for basketball um, and some of those other scoring formats, which is Michigan Power Rating or MPR for those that use acronyms. Um, and this is also being used for soccer. So those two sports will now have a third added in the MPR range for seeding districts. So now you'll see volleyball doing that as well. Over in wrestling, there's a recommendation to be added two regular season dual meets to the allowed number of wrestling contests. This was granted by the council. So now teams will be allowed two added regular season dual meets to their previously set schedules for the number of competitions that they can be. Um, they cannot be converted to tries or quads meets, so no three or four team competitions, uh, and teams and individuals will now be allowed 16 days of competition, with no more than eight of those days being allowed for tournament-type events where a wrestler competes more than twice, so that'll be allowed uh, some wrestlers some more time, and I think with the fluctuity, uh, or the, I should say the flexibility, um, the fluctuation we've seen of participation, as we mentioned two episodes ago, which you can find that on WBRN.com if you missed out under podcast in the West Michigan Sports Show to catch up, uh, but but I think it's just really something that's adopting with the participation numbers changing and obviously the number of competitions now being considered here for the future of the sports altogether. Some of the other regulations made, obviously we talked about the classification related change. So now schools, based on their enrollment, there will be an exception made for schools fewer than 125 students. They may request an executive committee waiver to use eighth grade students in all sports except for football, ice hockey, and wrestling moving forward. And schools fewer than 75 students, which instead was previously 50, may use the same requests for 8th and 7th grade students in exception of those same three sports, hockey, wrestling, and football. Schools must request the waiver ahead of time. They cannot go strictly off of their enrollment number, and they must have that approved by the MHSA prior to that. Sports medicine for middle school coaches, you know, it will now be a requirement to have a valid current CPR certification, which is similar to the high school requirements as well. There must be at least one CPR certified member present at practices. Uh, obviously, we saw a lot of the cardiac 
Um, really, emergencies really have risen up over the last couple of years in competition. I mean, Bronny James in the national news just only a week ago. Uh, so that's definitely a scary moment. So definitely glad to see uh, the MHSA is looking out for student athletes and making sure that these coaches are well equipped to handle those kind of an emergencies. With officials review committee, there was a recommendation to adjust the minimum requirements of postseason consideration. So officials must have 75 coaches ratings to be considered for working postseason competitions. This was previously 100. So they're lowering the standard down to 25. Um, and there's also another one that has been made for two specific sports, girls competitive cheer. Uh, they must be in good standing by the local approved association. And for soccer, they must have, have worked a minimum of five regular season games, which is down from the previous number of 10 only a year ago. There also was a recommendation made for the amount paid um, for an official on site so that in case that there is a canceled weather event and the MHSA actually used in their verbiage to an act of God, including weather that includes playing in unplayable positions uh, or excuse me, playable, unplayable conditions. Can't speak today. Officials will receive one half of that contract fee as opposed to one third. So now if a game is canceled due to unplayable conditions, officials scheduled for that event, will now be paid half instead of a third. That's the main difference there. For baseball, when awarded trophies, there will be a change for the regional champions. There will be regional champions after the quarterfinal is concluded as far as trophies being presented. And as regional finals, they'll be played on the same site at the same day. So both quarterfinal participants will have earned a regional competition championship earlier on in that day. So very, very interesting to have that idea. Um, so basically, when you have these teams now going to be playing to potentially on a weekend to where there will be the regional championship followed by if you win, you'll play on for the state quarterfinal. Uh, so then you will be rewarded as a championship before that quarterfinal game if that is on your schedule. So that's a very interesting idea. For the council in bowling, there will be a seeking of common dates that will start for this season. So they have came up with the dates. Bowling teams in both peninsulas will practice on November 9th. That'll be the first day official team meet up. And competition will begin all for all teams at November 25th. Uh, and UP was originally allowed to start earlier, um, four days earlier to be in fact, but now they're going to regulate it so that it's all the same. So UP and Lower Peninsula people were reunited for bowling when it comes to start dates. Girls Competitive Cheer, which was proposed by the Competitive Cheer Committee, will be moving the practice date start to the second Monday before Thanksgiving. This will shorten the season by a week, but it will allow a more comfortable gap between fall sideline season and winter competitive. So this will be a new rule that will be taken in fact for this next year in 24-25 and not in 23-24. But I think that's definitely reasonable in consideration for how short of a turnaround it is to go from sideline to competitive cheer. Definitely a really hard element to take in consideration when it tells when it comes to coaching those kids. Uh, moving into the committee recommendation for restricted period of competitive cheer. Uh, this will be Monday following Memorial Day, and that will allow LA athletes to try out for sideline cheer for the upcoming season after the completion of spring sport competition. So moving back the, uh, um, the start date for tryouts so that those athletes will have a chance to finish their spring sports. 
Council approved an MHSA to the All-Star regulation that will allow for individual competitive cheer and sideline cheer athletes to compete in an All-Star in name event as long as the selection complies with the MHSA regulation. So they will be adding an All-Star festivity event for competitive cheer. So they will have a they will be able to do that. Um, and but it is only going to be All-Star in name. It's still going to be a similar competition MHSA regulations. Cross country and track and field. It is an elimination rule for a pair of uniform-related issues, which in my past has certainly been one that's been debated for many times, um, designating the types of head attire that can be worn. Um, so that's going to be eliminated when it comes to um, the head attire, all gone. So hats will be necessarily open game um, as consideration to the previous rule that uh, was strickening what was allowed to be worn on the heads of athletes when racing. Over in golf, there is a recommendation to require athletes to participate in at least four competitions before going to postseason competition. And those four competitions may be nine or 18 whole events. So necessarily saving a lot of your teams for postseason now, not necessarily the case. For gymnastics, there's a better definition now for designing division. Uh, athletes are either designed to Division One or Division Two based on past experience and skill level. Uh, division One obviously being the one with most, and Division Two with least number of experience. So those will be considered into next year. Uh, as well as over in tennis, uh, the tennis committee recommendation will allow the lower peninsula for a number one doubles pair from a non-qualifying team to advance to regionals into finals competition. If that pair finishes first or second at the regional and the number one singers players from that team also has qualified for the finals individually by finishing first or second in regional play, UP does not play a regional, so that does not apply to them. Swimming and diving recommendation restructures how qualifying times are being determined for the entry levels. Moving forward, quality to our qualifying times will be determined based off the past five years of race data, but will also account for past numbers of qualifiers in each race, uh, which will be shifted to allow more athletes to advance in the finals where fields have not necessarily been full over the past five seasons, which have been considerations due to participation from COVID. The last two rules changes, the last one for swimming and diving, uh, there will be a sign breaks that will be allowed 10 minute breaks will be placed between some of the swims as well as a 15 minute break between the conclusion of diving and butterfly races so that one will give our athletes more time and for girls volleyball the final last one that was made during the spring meeting um, was that there will be a three minute encore presentation during the finals to recognize the season's miss volleyball winner which will take place during the division one championship match but that's a wrap for that no time necessarily to rattle off my not five but if you have a top five let us know go to wbron.com the contact info and let us know what you got for your top five list this is brandon worth here at the west michigan sports show and we'll see you next time